Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Babak Hayeri. Hello, everybody. This is the College Football Survivor Show, where we go deep into the chase for the College Football Playoff Championship. I'm Babak Hayeri, and I'm joined by the exceptional Shahan J. Haraja, national college football writer for CBS Sports. You can find us on X at CFB Survivor Show, where you can participate in polls, see highlights of the show and our lovely visages and send us feedback. As always, we always appreciate it when you take a moment to like, rate and subscribe to our show. Reviews on places like Apple always help people find us. The final college football playoff committee ranking came out yesterday. We talked about the top six quite a bit on our previous episode before at that time, before the rest of the rankings and bowl games were even selected. We're going to take a bit of today's show to talk about those rankings and also take a moment to give our initial thoughts on the semifinals. But before we do, Shehan, a little over 24 hours later, how are you feeling about the top four that the playoff committee gave us? Still bad. Still bad. Uh, I still think it's the wrong decision. I still think that Florida State was wronged. And although I will say, I will say the conversation has gotten wild today, not just from the perspective of actual football, but we got Ron DeSantis, we got Donald Trump, we got Rick Scott uh, chiming in here. I don't know. I, I guess uh, the real good thing for the presidential race is that it wasn't a Michigan versus Florida State conversation, because if we had that battle, oh my gosh, imagine presidential candidates trying to choose sides in, in that one potentially. But Again, still don't feel good about it. Still still not happy about it. I do think that I've started to at least embrace how good these two matchups should be. I want to be clear. I think that Florida State also would have been able to put together a good matchup with a month of practice, but that's beside the point. I do want to draw us to an uh, an email from uh, from Noah, one of our listeners, who, who sent it over to me. I haven't had a chance to respond to him directly, but I'll, I'll respond to him here. He said that uh, he was also very upset with the, the way <laughs> that things were decided. And so he went to write them potentially an email to, to sort of say, look, I'm expressing my displeasure. I like to think that this is because of me, because I rallied the troops for everybody. Uh, it appears that the college football playoff has removed the email from their website and their contact form so people can't contact them after they just made the most controversial decision in the history of the college football playoff. So, Noah, thank you for bringing that to our attention. Oh, my gosh. Just say no refunds. Uh, you know, uh, you know, going back to the joke about the politicians, I was wondering, are we going to get Senator Tommy Tuberville? Like, you know, this seems to be a perfect opportunity for him to, to release a statement and just a statement is LMAO. <laughs> I, I don't even <laughs> I try to even think like what would he even do because I mean we got a literal former football coach from the state of Alabama in the U.S. Senate awkwardly kind of listening to his colleagues railing about the college football playoff that led in a team from his state a team he used to coach against but a team from his state um oh what a strange world we live in um you know ultimately my own thought on this is don't hate the player hate the game when we talk about the college football playoff that you know ice t was right so were the, i mean he wasn't the first one but that 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 has always been the truth hate the sin not the sinner all right well i will hate both the player and the game but i will say uh, one of the reasons that we might not have seen uh, tommy tuberville release a statement he is the last coach who had an undefeated power conference team that did not get to play for a national championship, and that would be 2004 Auburn. Uh, I'm sure that you know all about that year, uh, USC oh, yeah. fan. <laughs> so take us through that a little bit. Take us through that. What was that like? Because I was, uh, you know, I was celebrating my 10th birthday at the time. Oh gosh. Well, first of all, um, you know, actually now I'm wondering his release is just going to be been there, brother. You know, <laughs> that's all. That would be, you know, that's all I'm going to say. That's the senator's only statement on this. You know, it was a mess because that was the BCS era. And it's always a race to be 
the top two. I mean, the BCS era started with, I wouldn't say necessarily pure controversy, but a real race for the top. As we know, Tennessee was able to go all the way through and win out. But in the last week of the season, championship weekend, 1998, I remember I was watching, everyone was watching, you know, UCLA play a makeup game with Miami that had been pushed off due to a hurricane. Pac-10 at the time didn't have a title game, so they played it on championship weekend. Miami pulls the upset, knocks number two USC out. And then at almost about an hour later, because this is in the middle of the Big 12 title game between Texas A&M, which was on like their third string quarterback versus Kansas State, who was the BCS number three. They were the ones that should have just moved up. There was a great crowd shot watching the fans, watching this game while the game is still live. And you could see, because this is back in the day when we had like cell phones as like your primary, or maybe a pager as your neck. There were no smartphones. Somebody got word about what had happened at the other game. And you just see the crowd shot was perfect. I'm glad they captured this. One guy starts hopping. Then the hopping starts around him like this echo coming out of the, the middle of the audience of the K-State fans who realized for about, oh, one half, they had a chance of being in the final BCS title game. And then Texas A&M pulled it off and Florida State backs in and gets clobbered by Tennessee. So going over each year, we were used to this kind of weird race for the top two. We were dealing with things like pole momentum and pole momentum is absolutely. And we talked about it a bit last week. I think that's why Michigan moved right up to number one rather than any real serious debate was probably had between them and Washington as who was going to be the number one seed. So we're looking back to what happened in uh, 2004. USC and Oklahoma were at the top and they stayed at the top and that that basically boxed out anybody else. And that's what people really did not like about the system. We can't also forget the fact that Utah another year was able to go all the way through um, when there be, when the Fiesta Bowl, we all, you know, I still remember the, you know, the, the celebrations after that, we had that incredible 2005, um, uh, wait, was that 2005? No, it was 2004. It was the same 2004 season because Utah also won out. Um, we had the great kind of a Heisman trophy ceremony where you had two pairs of teammates, actually three pairs of teammates. You had Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart. Um, and obviously Leinart, uh, won. you had, uh, um, Oh my gosh, what was the Oklahoma? We had Adrian Peterson, but you also had the the, the quarterback, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Jason and White. And then you Jason White. And then you had the um the Utah quarterback. Oh my gosh. Alex uh, Smith. What was his name? Alex Smith. And the funny thing was, who's the third set of teammates? Alex Smith and Reggie Bush were on the same team. So in high school. <laughs> so there were three sets of teammates in that Heisman Trophy ceremony. It was 2004 was a, was a fascinating year. And I'm not just saying it because I was a USC fan. I mean, it was great for us, right? You know, at that point I was in law school. So it was just something. It just meant in those days that my team was on TV all the time. Because in those days, it wasn't like you could get it anywhere. You know, I couldn't have a mythical, supposed theoretical Pac-12 network that is available only to like five people in the United States. I actually, you know, I was actually seeing these these teams, which sometimes because when I was in when I was in graduate school, there was a game I had to miss because it wasn't televised. USC at Cal, not televised. Like you don't know what it was like in those days. <laughs> it stunk if you were a fan. And I can't even imagine. That's why we saw teams start playing on Thursday. That's why we started teams playing on Wednesday, on Tuesday. They literally had no shot to get on TV. Period. There was no ESPN Plus. There was no. You know, Peacock, there was no, none of that stuff, but I could rant and rail. Now, now you've got old man Bob talking right now. I can't even believe it. And that terrifies me because I don't feel that old, but uh, I guess I am. I mean, here I am. I'm def- And I'm also apparently the great old man defending the committee and all of this, too. I think they got it right. I, I will. I will stand behind it. They did exactly what it said on the tin. Um, uh, people want to see stories. I get that. And, and I get it, you know, I, I also understand why a lot of the sports media tends to go that way, because to some extent, journalists, they tell stories and telling a season long tale of the triumphs and travails of teams did not mean that to liberate uh, that can <laughs> create this sort of subconscious predilection towards the most deserving team. Yet sometimes story isn't enough. And I think we got the four we got, but we'll get more to them uh, as we get kind of to the back of the show. But yeah, no, my goodness, this is, and and again, the one thing, and I will repeat this again and again and again, we, this was the perfect way to transition people to next season when we have 12 teams and, you know, credit to Ross Dellinger. He, he did a good little article that came out recently that revisited the Alliance. Thanks to 
in part the ACC, the playoff got pushed back a year. And instead of this year having 12 teams, it's next year. And boy, oh boy, which conference got hosed by that? Oh, my goodness. No, it's a good question. And uh, I I do want to say I should have known that we'd be turning back the clock to 2004 whenever uh, I went to the Big 12 title game and I saw Nelly perform at halftime uh, because Texas is back. They're a national contender. Uh, they're not playing in the Rose Bowl. That would have made it just a whole nother level if they were also playing in the Rose Bowl like they did in 2004. They're going to be going to the Sugar Bowl. Still a very good game, though. Uh, And then we get an undefeated team getting left out of their chance of playing for a national championship. I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't around the same way to experience it. Uh, it. It hits different in 2023 than it did in 2004. But look, I do, I, I do also want to say, I am going to turn the page on Florida State as, as soon as we go to break. As soon as we go to break, I'm done. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to be mad about it anymore. I'm going to move on. We have two games that are too good to be mad about this. We will come back, I think, this offseason to just the decision in how it will shape the future of the sports, independent of just what the decision is. I'll also say, uh, I, I did jump on the media teleconference with Boo Corrigan, and it's important to note, Boo Corrigan is one person being asked to defend 13 people who don't agree on everything. And it's actually a special kind of hell that they sent out NC State's athletic director to explain that the ACC actually sucks. Like, that is just so ironic and so awkward for him to have to do. But he had to do it. I I did get a question in kind of saying, you know, one, do you feel like you're sending a message that by being straightforward and disclosing injuries, that uh, that you're actually putting yourself at a disadvantage, that if you had maybe been coy about injuries, and, and, and maybe Jordan Travis's injury was so bad that it would have been impossible to hide, but I've seen people in college football lie about way more obvious things than whether Jordan Travis has a broken leg before. But I, I did ask about that. He said it wasn't part of the conversation in any way, so no, that's not something that we thought about. Uh, and he was he was also asked, by the way, and this will also help us transition into our next thing. He was asked, SMU lost their incredibly good quarterback, Preston Stone, before the AAC championship game. He was asked, did that play any role in SMU not getting the New Year's Six bid from the group of five and Liberty getting it at 13-0? And he said, no, was not a factor. So, cool. It's all made up and the rules don't matter. <laughs> yeah, doubt. Hi, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I, I read that answer and I, I I couldn't believe they said that. But we'll get to that, I think, when we get back to talk about the rest of these college football playoff rankings. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right. So again, as we said last time we were together for an episode, we had the top six, but we didn't have the rest of the CFP ranking. So I'm just going to quickly go down the list. Obviously, again, Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama, the first throughout were Florida State and Georgia, followed by with number seven, Ohio State, Oregon, rounding out the top eight, then number nine, Mizzou. Most teams below this state, the same for the most part, Penn State, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, LSU, Arizona and Louisville swapped spots. So Arizona came in at 14. Louisville went at 15. Notre Dame and Iowa switched spots. So Notre Dame went up one and uh, to 16 and Iowa went to 17, followed by NC State, Oregon State, Oklahoma State, Tennessee, Clemson, and then the G5 pick. Congratulations, 13-0 Liberty at number 23, followed by Southern Methodist SMU at number 24 with Kansas State. At number 25, the only team that dropped out was Tulane, which SMU had just beat. So what are your thoughts, Shehan, on what we're seeing here with the rest of these rankings? 
Yeah. So let's let's save the group of five conversation for just a minute. I will I will say on SMU's front, I got a chance to be around SMU a whole lot uh, starting in 2018 when I joined Dave Campbell's Texas Football. I wrote a cover story on them for DCTF in 2020, uh, talking about their rise under first Sunny Dykes. Obviously, now it's transitioned to Rhett Lashley. So I don't want it to get lost in the group of five discussion what SMU just accomplished. They win 11 games. They win their first conference championship of any type since 1984, two years before the death penalty. They've had so many good players come through this program. They've built themselves up in a really significant way. Now they're going to be going to the ACC, you know, again, and which is good and bad in some ways. I would love to see them play more Texas schools, but that's a whole other conversation. But this is a historic year. This is a great moment. I don't want that to get lost in the fact that they did not make the New Year Six. Or get lost in the discussion of whether they deserved it. Because they accomplished something that deserves to stand on its own. With that said, so looking at the rankings at a whole, one of the things that surprised me was Louisville at number 15. Not because I think that they didn't deserve to be there. I do think that they deserve to be there. But Louisville is getting a lot of credit from the committee as a three-loss team. And for Florida State, obviously, to beat them, without their first two quarterbacks, it's surprising to me that they were rated that high. I would have been less surprised to see Louisville move down to like 22 or something like that and just be, you know, just kind of say this wasn't that good a victory. But they did keep them in the top 15. I was a little surprised by that. Also a little surprised Oklahoma State staying in at number uh, 20. I thought maybe they'd be in the 24, 25 type range after the game that they put together against Texas. I (laughs) There's a great meme circulating around uh, Twitter right now, which is there's a photo of Tiger Woods on the golf course. And and next to him is a picture of John Daly, just like laying back, smoking a cigar. And and, uh, the Tiger Woods was labeled Texas and John Daly was labeled Oklahoma State. It, It was the most perfect way to head into this Big 12 title game. But sometimes John Daly is too drunk to walk. Sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, and that's what this Oklahoma State team was a couple <laughs> times this season. Oh, my goodness. So I well, do think- it is funny that it is funny that Houston is now going to host at least one pair of Oklahoma and Texas teams in the uh, in a bowl game. But it's going to be for the Texas Bowl in NRG Stadium a little bit before that national championship game. But could you imagine if Texas makes it through the semifinal to the title game, what's that? I mean, we've been talking about how Texas A&M has been stressed out about everything that's happening over there. And perhaps that, that contributed probably almost certainly contributed to Jimbo Fisher being let go. But could you imagine if then Texas, the same, like just within, I mean, how, how many days is it? Yeah. It's like a week later, a week and a half later, suddenly Texas is in the same stadium playing for the national championship. while the Aggies play for A&M, uh, probably play for the Texas bowl against Oklahoma state. By the way, again, going back to Louisville, their reward is they get a seven and five USC team that, as of today, is not even going to have Caleb Williams as a quarterback. So it's always interesting to see where they send teams. And uh, I mean, don't get me wrong; I'm sure USC fans are thrilled. Just San Diego, it's convenient, and they put UCLA in the LA Bowl. I mean, we're talking about just fan convenience. The LA Bowl in SoFi Stadium. I don't know how. Wait, I'm just curious. Like, is there a team that's ever been sent to a stadium? closer to their campus than their home stadium because <laughs> UCLA, for those who don't realize the Rose Bowl's nowhere near UCLA. They used to share the LA Coliseum, which also is further away than SoFi stadium up until the eighties. Um, so yeah, no, they're actually going to have a, a shorter drive to get to this game uh, against Boise state. So uh, my goodness. Uh, so, but I, I don't want to get lost there. The other thing, you know, for me, I was struck by how few, any, how little anyone really dropped who lost because we, we just talked about it. Louisville only dropped one. Um, and I'm kind of struck by that. And Iowa only dropped one. Um, maybe because they just said, well, Iowa's still the Iowa we always knew. Louisville, I'm a little bit more surprised by. Because I think of the teams going into championship weekend, more people thought Louisville had a chance to t- knock off FSU, especially with Brock Glenn as quarterback. And the FSU defense showed exactly, they asserted themselves. They showed how strong they are. And for some reason, though, Louisville just barely got edged out by Arizona. So I'm not sure about that one. I, uh, I I don't know. I think Notre Dame might be a stronger team than Louisville. Of course, I get it. That's when they got trapped in head-to-head. You always forget that they still have to have these conversations. Maybe that is that it? Did, did the head-to-head keep them there? But uh, again, 
I don't know. I, I, uh, I It's the mysteries, the mysteries of the, the college football playoff committee. So I, I've mentioned this before. I did the college football playoff mock selection committee a couple years ago. And one of the things they did talk about is we want to pay as much attention to comparing 16 versus 17 as we do to three versus four. And so I do think that when you make that comparison, uh, I've heard it described before, and we heard this described before uh, with Alabama, Texas, with Notre Dame, Cincinnati back in 2021. It does in some ways put a floor on where you're going to go if you have the same record and a head-to-head victory, right? So, I mean, we've got a, a, a 10 and three Louisville team versus a nine and three Notre Dame team. And one of these teams won. And so I do think that that did give them a little bit of a floor. Now, I also think, I actually think that Louisville in the top 15 is a correct decision. I, I like the fact that they didn't overreact. I think Notre Dame probably should have been a little lower than they ended up. Uh, I think 16 is very high for what they actually accomplished this season. But I think the other part too is, you know, again, you start to look down the board. I, I look at Tennessee, right? Tennessee at number 21 at eight and four, not really any good victories, really a lot of not awesome losses. It's, this is a weird year. I, I don't think that there were a whole bunch of great teams in the middle class, but I, I do feel like, well, if that's the case, you know, why aren't you willing to move some teams up and some down? Uh, one last thing that I'll mention on this front. I do think that if you're the committee, you should not punish teams very much, if at all, for losing their conference championship game. Because I remember a couple years ago, uh, I think it was 2017, the first year of the Big 12 championship game coming back. Oklahoma played against TCU. And TCU at the time was 9 or 10, I think, and in line to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. And after they lost the game to Oklahoma, who went to the college football playoff and went to overtime with a chance to play the national championship game, after losing that game, they fell to 13 and went to the Alamo Bowl instead. So they were actually punished for making and playing in a college uh, or a conference championship game. And I don't think that should be the case. I like the fact that they didn't move much. It's just strange that this is the first time that we've kind of seen that criteria applied. Well, to be fair, there have been situations where, you know, like Wisconsin getting totally blown out 59-0. That, that, you know, we occasionally get those conference title games that make us all raise an eyebrow. But I, I definitely agree with where you're going there. You know, one last thought for me, too, is if we're talking about the inconsistencies of how the committee sort of handles their business, if they were picking the best teams, if they were ranking the teams by the best teams purely, as they say they did, it feels like once they got past the top four, it kind of dropped that facade a little bit. Um, and I'm speaking specifically because of Florida State. Again, I'm not trying to uh, I'm not trying to diss Florida State, but unless you're perhaps with Garnet and gold lenses against the rest of those teams, I don't know if they would have been favored. Now, again, we're going to get to see that game with Georgia, and I'm actually really looking forward to that one. That one got really interesting really fast. I'm actually remarkable uh, that Orange Bowl is going to be, but I'm surprised if they were going to go ahead and drop them below Alabama and Texas. Why didn't they also continue with a few of those other teams? Because at this point, ranking them number five felt like a kind of disingenuous smack on the behind, like, you know, nice hustle, you know, uh, <laughs> as, as, a, as a kid trots off the field, you know, after kind of an, it, yeah, I, it just didn't quite feel right. But, you know, in the end, it didn't really matter. I, I know at that point, we're literally just, we're, we're, we're nitpicking things that honestly, at this point, as you said, we're past that. So these are the teams we got in the top four, and we got some exciting So I have games. one question, and then let's talk about Liberty SMU. And that is, if Florida State beats Georgia in the Orange Bowl, should they claim a national championship? I think yes, because I like that kind of chaos. I loved, what was it, 2018, when UCF claimed a championship. I loved the weird rankings out of nowhere. My favorite was the Nevada Association of Dentists crowned them their national champion. I didn't even, I don't know why. Apparently this is something they would always do for fun, but it, it kind of came up because they were like one of these conference, like one of these groups that decided to put out a PR piece. And that was by far one of my favorite um, announcements. And, you know, they had that big, and again, they're in Orlando. So it's very easy to celebrate there. They just did it, you know, at one of the Disney facilities, you know, you know had a big party. There was a stage. Um, 
Yeah, no, I I say why not? That's part of the joy. I mean, again, I'm old enough to remember when there were, you know, split championships. I, you know, we were just talking about 2004. In 2003, the computers totally messed up and we ended up with a split championship. I mean, just I'm going to only again, sorry, old man Bob X going to go down this path. But the perfect storm happened in the final two weeks of the regular season in 2003, where USC, which thought it had no shot at playing in the BCS championship, got put to the top of the AP poll. So it ended up ranked number one in the final regular season, uh, I should say conference championship. Uh, there was no Pac-10 conference championship. So that's the asterisk there. They finished number one in the AP poll because Oklahoma had lost. And what ends up happening? Oklahoma fall, you know, and LSU end up going into one and two in the BCS poll. So they end up going to the Sugar Bowl to play for the national championship. And USC plays number four Michigan in the Rose Bowl as a traditional Rose Bowl matchup. So we actually, weirdly enough, ended up with a playoff structure without a play without a, a playoff championship game. But so that ended up with why 2003 is a split title. Uh, the USC said the AP poll kept them as number one. The coaches poll was required to vote for whatever one in the BCS. That's actually people may not realize this. The BCS never got the AP poll to agree to vote for their champion. And it came up one time in 2003. I know there have been some people on record in the AP poll who said they will vote for Florida State and keep them as their number one if they beat Georgia. I have to be a little honest with that. If you're a member of the press and you're saying that, I'm a little like, really, you don't think those other four teams are worthy? You really you really don't think that? I mean, that would that that makes me a little more concerned. But I still think if Florida State beats Georgia, claim that trophy. Why not? That's the beauty of college football. You know, Alabama has how many unclaimed versus claimed national championships? Take it. I mean, we've been in we have watched teams retroactively claim championships. I remember when USC suddenly decided, you know, we also won 1939 and Texas A&M was kind of like, what? Um, You know, if you're going to do it, go for it. Claim it. Who, who cares? It's sports. It's fun. It's glorious. Hang the banner. You can always point to it when folks come and play you guys. You can always say like, look, see, we also won the 2023-24 national title game. So I bless you for that. I say, don't let anyone say it's not serious. It's college football. It's life. It's not life and death. Claim it and be proud of it. They obviously will need to be Georgia. I think that people will need to feel to enough of an extent that Georgia's Playing, playing, right? I mean, obviously not having Brock Bowers, I'd assume, in that game will play a role. But Carson Beck should be back. Most of that defense should be there. A lot of their offensive line should be there. And if you're Florida State, I I mean, make a statement. Make make a 2014 TCU statement. Hell, maybe TCU should have claimed that title, right? Like, I, I think that the funny thing about the college football playoff is that it was specifically created to have the circumstance that they have unanimous control of the national championship, that it should be unimpeachable who wins the national championship because that team should be allowed to play in the college football playoff. In their final year, they've ruined it. They've ruined it. They have destroyed that premise, and Florida State has the opportunity for the last time to take advantage of that and also, by the way, usher in the 12-team playoff. To be fair, they stumbled out of the gate because 2014 was the other really disastrous season where you had, you know, what happened with the one through a one true champion situation over in the Big 12. And I know you're very aware of that, but I'm not. Please don't tell me. It hasn't been perfect to begin with. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and by the way, I was always thinking when you're saying like Florida State should just go for broke and just score as many points as possible on Georgia. That's going to be a tough call. But it almost reminded me of meanwhile, Iowa, I think. Somebody crunched the numbers for Brian Ferentz to have hit that mythical 325. He has to score 134 points against Tennessee. So you know what? Maybe we'll see something crazy. Game on. (laughs) Game on. Game on. Oh, goodness gracious. But let's get to the G5 situation. We really need to take a second to talk about this because, as we said at the outset, Liberty is now going to the Fiesta Bowl as a G5 representative to play Oregon. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so... It's funny, right? I mentioned I have lots of ties to SMU. I have several ties to Liberty and Conference USA, right? So when the games finished on Saturday, I had people texting me from both directions trying to kind of be like, hey, man, like, this is our case. We should be in. Ultimately, it's Liberty. 
I, I obviously am like my, it's heart wrenching for SMU, a team that I think is very deserving of playing in the New Year's Six, but I think it was the right choice. I think that if you go 13 and 0, if you beat 10 win New Mexico State twice in really, really good, impressive games, if you are consistently good across the course of a season, like, I think that matters. I, I think that matters. It is a two loss difference. The funny thing about all of this is that one of the biggest cases against SMU is that their rival, who they lost to, ended up being terrible. They ended up being a 5-7 and seven team. And I do think that does hurt their case a little bit, the fact that they really didn't have a whole lot for TCU, who didn't end up being that good. Now, SMU got it better over the course of the season, but we can't play that game. We, we can't play that game of, well, maybe that team is different than this team, because it all counts. And so I think that when you have a 13-0 Liberty, two losses ahead in the loss column, who also, by the way, heading into the weekend, was ranked in the top 25 when SMU wasn't, it would have been, to me, unfair to then take SMU all the way from the outside and say, we're going to slot you all the way ahead after basically that not being the case. And like I said, I don't want the American title game to be a consolation prize for SMU. This is a huge freaking deal. But also, like, Tulane had it leaked that their coach was leaving right before the game too. Right? So, so like... That's all just to say, like, I don't think that it should have erased everything else that happened. SMU's AAC schedule was not the most impressive schedule that the AAC has ever put forward either, right? It was better than Liberty's. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, you go through East Carolina, Charlotte, Temple, Tulsa, Rice, North Texas, Memphis, Navy. Their resume is kind of Tulane, and that's most of it, right? Like, that's most of their quality resume as well. And so... Is that enough to erase everything else? It wasn't to me. I think Liberty is the right choice, but it was close. It was close. I would not have been upset if they had picked SMU, but I do think Liberty is the right choice. Yeah, this was a much tougher decision than I expected. And it was funny, too, because as soon as I heard they went with Liberty, at first I got a little annoyed because of the schedule thing. But then I kind of thought it out. And I felt like, especially with the way they, uh, the committee was kind of hooking, for example, with Florida State, the Jordan Travis injury was a thing they held against Florida State, that this is not the same team, et cetera, et cetera. And then I thought of, well, Liberty hasn't had a major injury like that. They are still the same team they've been the entire season. If anything, they've looked stronger. They had a couple of close calls earlier in the season, but since then, they've been dominating. I know when Boo Corrigan was asked about it, you know, he mentioned, you know, they've been averaging over 500 a game, 500 yards a game, scoring over 40 points. Caden Salter is still there. They don't have any other major injuries to critical players. And but then I, I admit I was a little surprised. And we've touched on this earlier when they asked him about SMU losing Preston Stone. He claimed that that wasn't a factor in why SMU might not have passed Liberty. I think I think they decided we don't have to specifically address that because unlike Florida State, undefeated Liberty with perhaps a weaker schedule is still at full strength. We are going to get the exact team that we have been seeing week after week. And I wonder, that's how I kind of came to a conclusion of like trying to imagine, because we're all, we're all operating from the outside. We're assuming what's going on, but that's how I was able to kind of reconcile how Florida state was not let through. So one thing's for sure, we've got an interesting final ranking here and it's, it's, it's enjoyable to discuss it. We'll probably touch a little bit more on some of these aspects probably especially in the offseason. Next, we're going to go ahead and take an initial look at these semifinals because that's what we've got. They're exciting matchups. Can't wait to talk more about it here on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So looking at these semifinals, I mean, again, one thing is we can certainly agree on. This is a great Great matchup. We've got four teams here, and I don't know how long it's been. Four teams that, before even seeing what happens on the field, any one of these teams could win. There doesn't seem to be one team that is a world beater. Each of them have flaws. We're looking at this, and 
again, before anything's even been played, you could have you could have shaken this for this group of four in any which way, and you would have had a good matchup. I mean, what are your initial impressions here going into it? I mean, we could start with the Rose Bowl or, or even just talk overall. Yeah, let's let's talk the, about the Rose Bowl. And one reason is uh, there was the video circulating of when the playoff was announced and Michigan saw the team come flip up on the screen and it was Alabama and everybody went, oh, and there's a reason for that. Michigan is built to play a certain type of game. I have some questions about really how it would match up with any of these teams outside of the Big Ten, but it is an especially bad matchup going against an Alabama or Georgia. These teams cannot just hang with Michigan up front. They they have both size and strength, but also a speed up front that I don't know that Michigan really will play very well against. We saw in the SEC championship game that Georgia's front seven is one of the most improved units in the country uh, over the course of this season. This is a really, really good unit. And and they've played well all year. I mean, I think that they held Texas to like 2.8 yards per carry as well back in week two. I don't think that Michigan is going to be able to run the ball at all. I, I think it is going to be really, really difficult for them. And then, you know, something that on the other side, Alabama a, a an inconsistent team, a flawed team. Jalen Milrow is a flawed quarterback at this point, although I like the growth I've seen from him. But I just think that they have more explosive weapons. I think they have more ability to stretch the field. I think they have more ability to go down the field. I mean, I, I don't want to be dismissive. I, people, people call me a Michigan hater, and I get it. I, I understand why people feel that way. But when you look at all of these four teams in the playoff, to me, there is one team that does not have consistent explosiveness on offense, and that's Michigan. We saw it in the game against Iowa this week. They obviously scored 26 points, but only 230-something yards. And going up against a team like Alabama, that's just as good as Iowa defensively, but a whole lot better offensively and way better in the trenches than even a, a really, really good Iowa team, I don't like it. I, I, I think Michigan ends up losing their third straight playoff game. Yeah, that's been one of the big issues for Michigan, as we saw two years ago um, when they got absolutely realized that what it takes to beat Ohio State doesn't necessarily uh, pay off in the playoffs against an SEC program. Um, I don't know if I'm necessarily as down on them. I certainly agree that no team was probably more disappointed to not see Florida State get into that fourth spot than the than the Wolverines, because suddenly it's like, congratulations, you get Alabama and and an Alabama that seems confident and seems to be surging and just prove themselves again. And that's a problem. I mean, we saw the classic Alabama those last couple of weeks. They struggled with Auburn and Jordan Hare. But then when it came to the big game, they came in firing on all cylinders and playing the Wolverines in the, the Rose Bowl. I mean, that, I, Nick Saban is going to be at his best coaching into this game. Um, it's so funny. I know somebody who went to Michigan who just moved to the United States, doesn't know anything about college football. And he's like, people are telling me that we're doomed. I'm like, OK, wait, slow down, kid. I mean, you know, I know you're, you know, <laughs> and now it's funny to me because I'm like, is that what people outside of the country here like Michigan's this death star that moved into orbit? I'm like, you do know they lost already once. Right. You know, um, and they I send them I send them the uh, I send them the fourth and 31 play just to like, you know, just. This is what it took for them to win that Auburn game. And I felt weird like then reversing and, and trying to like make him feel a little bit better. But there's so much stuff going on here. There's so many storylines. I mean, even the, the fact that in the Rose Bowl, how perfect is that? Most people know Michigan's been there a bunch of times. I mean, they're, they're the biggest, they're the most uh, uh, appearances by a Big Ten team. I mean, only USC overall has more appearances. But um, the thing that struck me is Alabama outside of the Big Ten and Pac-12, has the most appearances in the Rose Bowl. And I did not appreciate that. Their last appearance was 2021, uh, 2020-2021. So it was a pandemic season. So that means all their other six, by the way, all their other six appearances were before 1946. So they're going to show up. I think Alabama's going to really show up for this. I think Michigan's obviously going to show up for it. I think it's going to be an incredible atmosphere. Michigan hasn't won a Rose Bowl since 97-98, since they beat Ryan Leaf. Um, they've been 0-3 since then. Uh, it's been absolutely 
uh, an, a fascinating thing. So looking a little more into this matchup, is there any other aspect that strikes you in this Rose Bowl? This is going to be the J.J. McCarthy legacy game. Jim Harbaugh said earlier this year that he believes that J.J. McCarthy is on track to be the greatest quarterback in the history of Michigan football. Now, I will say, you look back at history, and for one of the greatest programs of all time, it is a little surprising how little comparatively great quarterback play that they've had. I mean, the greatest quarterback of all time literally went there, and he was fine when he was at Michigan. But now, obviously, I think uh, J.J. McCarthy does have the opportunity to take that step, right? It it will come down to whether he can deliver uh, Michigan its first national championship in the championship game era, which obviously started in 1998. And so this is going to be the game where that gets figured out. They cannot afford to try and uh, and just bully Alabama. That's not going to work for them. They tried to do it against Georgia, and that game was a blowout. It was 34-3 before a meaningless touchdown at the end of the game. So they need to spread the ball around. They need to trust their quarterback. They need to probably get him involved in the run game a little bit. That was something they had a lot of success with when they played against Ohio State. But I always hate just saying, it's the quarterback, it's the quarterback. To me, that's lazy analysis a lot of the time, but... For Michigan, it's going to come down to the quarterback. It's going to come down to whether they can be dynamic in the passing game and force Alabama to cover anything outside of the box. We definitely have a pair of strong defenses here and offenses with with different approaches to it, especially Jalen Milrose, a very different type of quarterback. I'd be fascinated to see if Michigan manages to keep that defense going and slow down Alabama. And do we see Michigan adapt the tactics of Iowa and just kind of wrestle Alabama to the ground. And we have a, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a low scoring affair. I would not be surprised if the winning team barely touches 20, if they do um, in the end, but it's going to be fun to continue and examine this game as we get closer to it. Moving over to the other semifinal sugar bowl. We've got Washington. We've got Texas. This is the first time Washington's ever been in the Sugar Bowl, which I thought was interesting. Texas has only been there four times. Of course, the last time was at the end of the 2018-2019 season when Sam Ellinger was MVP. And when, for those of us who remember, Bevo kind of had a freakout moment and took out a cameraman. Um, so uh, not not with the Sharpie point, not with the, the, the sharp point, but with, the, with the, the, the rest of his horns. So what are your thoughts on this one? Well, that was the last time that Texas was back. So it only took five years for them to capitalize on that and finally get back to the Sugar Bowl. (laughs) I don't want to be dismissive. I don't want to overstate. I think that the 2023 National Championship game is going to be played in New Orleans this year. I think that the winner of Texas versus Washington is going to win the National Championship. You look at these two teams. Two teams that I think are incredibly complete. Texas, of course, uh, they showed against Oklahoma State. They've showed in other games this year. They can beat you in any way. They can pass. They can run. They can stop the run. They can stop the pass. They can do it all. And I do think that you look at the level that Quinn Ewers is playing at right now. You look at the receiver room. Adonai Mitchell has taken a huge step over the past couple of weeks. And he's not just uh, a playoff killer like he was during his time at Georgia. He is a legitimate every down type receiver. And that changes the calculus of this game. They've continued to run the ball at a high level, even without uh, Jonathan Brooks in the lineup. And this is a Texas team that I think is as good as any that they've had since, I mean, obviously 2009, even 2005. And even if you look back at the last 50 years, this is one of the best that they've had over that entire period. And then on the other side, you have Washington, a player who we will definitely talk about on Thursday during our Heisman Trophy show. Uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, the best passing game in the country, I would argue, and I don't even think it's all that close. Three NFL receivers, including Romo Dunze, Jalen McMillan, and Jalen Polk. An underrated running game led by Dylan Johnson. And I think where they're most underrated, and they got a chance to hammer this point home against Oregon, they are so much better in the trenches than they get credit for on both sides, especially on offense, right? I mean, they are able to pave the way on offense, give Michael Penix a lot of time. And defensively, when they need to make plays and they need big moments, they do it every single time. They are so consistent at doing that. They've won 20 games in a row <laughs> dating back to October 2022. 
they are such a good team. I think that, you know, we, we can maybe touch for a second on what would happen in a potential national championship game. I think that the winner of this game, though, is the national champion. I think that they ha- are just more dynamic than the other two teams and less flawed than the two teams potentially that they'd have to play. So I am very excited for this one. Uh, one other note to mention during the 20 game Washington winning streak, they played these Texas Longhorns. They played them in the 2022 Alamo Bowl, even with Quinn Ewers in the lineup. And, and also, by the way, with Jonathan Brooks in the lineup, the, uh, because he was uh, the backup at that point to, to Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. And they won 27 to 20. I don't think that says a whole lot about this matchup, but it does mean that Texas is going to be able, or, or that Washington is going to be able to hang. I'm very excited for this one. This is one of the best college football games that we've had all year. Yeah, you bring up a great point to that, too, because, I mean, we were all doubting if Texas could beat Oregon twice, and then they did. And part of the reason, so now we're watching, granted, this is a a different zone with Texas because that was last season's Texas versus this season's edition. But one thing that I will give Washington credit is they have that weird X factor that teams that go on national championship runs do, where on paper you're like, "This this should be the game where they finally lose, and they don't. Why? Because they have Penix there. He is absolutely phenomenal at making games happen and making them work when the game falls on him. And perhaps Arizona State was the weird, the weird one that they, they dealt with and, and, and for some reason didn't show up and the defense did. But seeing them since then, seeing what they did against Oregon, we saw in a big game environment, we've seen them now again go against many ranked teams. When they need to, that, that offense, that, that complete team, can show up and some part of it will go through. But Texas, as you said, I mean, they're physical. They have the ability to reload, as we saw when Jonathan Brooks went down. They have that depth and that capacity that I am also not entirely sure if this is a team. Like, I'm trying to even think what's, and we'll probably get into this more as we go through the the weeks up until the game. What team does this look most like for Washington to go against? I mean, is this most more like Oregon? Um, it's pass heavy. You've got a strong quarterback with Queen Ewers. You have a physical program top to bottom. I mean, we were talking all that about the Oregon defense. I mean, they were great. And then it wasn't quite enough. So I'm wondering, I'm, I'm, this game by far seems to be the more even matchup. Um, just the way these teams stack up, their offenses are, are really fun to compare. I cannot wait to see this one develop. And um, yeah, my goodness, I'm looking forward to developing out this conversation more. Yeah, I think for me, and I will mention as well, I, I didn't say the sports line consensus line for Alabama, Michigan is Michigan minus one and a half. If I had to pick today, which we, we got a full month before we have to fully pick these games. If I had to pick today, I'm picking Alabama to win outright. Texas, Washington is Texas minus four and a half. So actually Vegas thinks that the gap between Texas and Washington is bigger than Michigan and Alabama. I don't buy that. I think that this is a pick'em type game. This is a really good matchup. A factor that I'll say is that Texas is a deeper team than Washington. I don't even think it's that close. When you look at the amount of playmakers that they have out there, uh, <laughs> I got a great front row seat to it on Saturday. They lost Xavier Worthy and they were like, all right, let's let's just put out more good players. Let's just keep on <laughs> rolling them out there. A.D. Mitchell, go do your thing. Jatavian Sanders, go do yeah. your thing. They brought out more tight ends. They brought out more running backs. It does not matter. They are so deep on offense. I, I can't remember the last team that I've seen that's this deep on offense at all of running back, receiver, tight end. I've seen teams that have one of those things. Texas has all three. And But the one thing that you have to ask is... This is a game where you get to rest for a whole month. So depth might not be as big of an advantage in a playoff game as it might have been in the regular season. And if you're talking about the top end, if we're ranking every Texas and Washington receiver, right? Romo Doomsday is number one. I don't even think that's in question. I think you can say Xavier Worthy's two. I think, though, that maybe I might go the two Washington guys and then A.D. Mitchell, although A.D. Mitchell has had a great year. He, he maybe should be a little higher than that. But Washington's top three at receiver is better than Texas's top three, just in terms of who that third guy is going to be. They, they've got other bodies there. Jordan Whittington is a really solid, consistent player, but I don't think he's as good as Jalen McMillan is. And so I think that the high end of Washington is just a little better. 
I think that right now as a college football quarterback, Michael Penix Jr. is a better player than Quinn Ewers. They're both awesome. But like, this is not enough. This is this is me saying that Michael Penix Jr. might be the best quarterback in the country. Not that Quinn Ewers is bad. But I think that Michael Penix Jr. is just a unique playmaker in college football right now as a passer. There are other guys who, you know, passing in with their legs do special stuff. But as a passer, I think Michael Penix is one of one right now in college football. And so if you're going to have all three of those guys healthy, which has been an issue for Washington through the second half of the season, I mean, I today, right, just today, we're recording December 4th at 3.24 Central Time. I'm leading Washington to win the game. If you ask me at 3.26, I might pick Texas to win instead. This is going to be a hell of a matchup. Uh, I, I would be remiss to say Texas defense, different animal, completely different animal than what Washington is bringing to the table. I just wonder whether Washington's passing game is even a different animal than what Texas can bring to the table. Absolutely. And I think with this game in particular, if, if Washington's going to win, it's going to be Michael Penix Jr. doing his magic at the exact right time. And it'll w- win or lose a Heisman, it'll be past that point. But I'm absolutely fascinated to see how they square off. Well, I think that's a good time to wrap this up. We'll get more into these games as this season progresses, as we get closer to them. Next week, we'll also have a conversation about the Heisman Trophy because that's a good time to have our Heisman show. But we'll get to that in our next one. We wanted to just take a second to thank all of you who listen. Take a second, if you can, come to us at Twitter and X at CFB Survivor Show, where you can, as I said, vote in polls, message us, see clips of us in our our beautiful faces, so so called. (laughs) I wanted to thank our producer, Joey Alberti. I wanted to just, again, repeat that We enjoy the fact that you sit with us and you choose us as part of your listening habits. I'm Bob Ekayeri. He's Shehan Jayaraja. You can find his work at cbssports.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.